And here we go, everybody. Another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you again from the summer studios in Amagansett. Tuesday night, August 8th. Wow, August 8th. 2017, that of course, taking us out was the alarm with love to feel the rain in summertime. Big show to get to tonight. We've got uh, Major League Baseball. We'll go down the standings, talk about some of the races as we get now ever closer to the end of the season. Some good races to talk about. Talk a little bit about the Mets, of course. Although, probably (laughs) against my better judgment. But uh, there's actually kind of an interesting storyline there. Certainly not about their play on the field because they are terrible. But we'll talk about some other stuff. We'll take a look around the NFL. A couple of developing storylines there as well. As we uh, just had the Hall of Fame game last week. We've got the full slate of preseason games kick off uh, this week. But we begin with the Mets, as we often do here on Jamal About Sports. And uh, the Mets just played the Dodgers, who are, by the way, (laughs) continue to be ridiculously and historically raging hot. Uh, They are 40-something games over 500. When we get down to the – when we get around and going through the standings, I'll give you the exact – Record, but uh, I believe the Dodgers are 44-7 and in their last 51 games. I mean, they're just killing people. And the Mets were certainly no uh, <clears throat> exception to that uh, as they got swept away by the Dodgers over the weekend. Um, but what was interesting was this uh, the storyline of Justin Turner, who um, was uh, a, a bit player at best for the Mets. We've talked about it uh, a little bit on the show. Um, in, in a couple, I think two shows ago. Um, and you know, he's now a legit MVP candidate. He's leading the league in hitting, uh, at 350, I believe. And of course, second, uh, behind him, right behind him is Daniel Murphy at 347 or something ridiculous like that. And, um, you know, Turner's played a very good third base. It's for power. It's for average the whole nine yards. And so there have been some, some. There's been some revisionist history now, uh, where you know the Mets should have re-signed him because, at the very least, he was a cheap player at the time. He was only going to make. You know, I don't even think he was going to make a million bucks. He was not going to make a lot because, um, you know, this is a guy who got cut by the Orioles, by the way. And the Mets picked him up off the scrap heap back in, I believe, 2011, when you know the Mets were a bad team, and so. You know, I guess it made sense, um, you know, for the Mets to kind of take a flyer on the guy. I think Terry Collins had seen him in the minors and, and thought he would be a good, uh, you know, there was some potential there. So the Mets took a flyer on him and, and frankly, never really did anything. Um, and then, you know, there was this article today, I think, or yesterday in the Times, uh, well, he hit 330 in September. I mean, listen. It, one, of, one of the oldest rules in baseball is never put too much stock in what a guy does in September on a bad team um, because there's no pressure. Uh, you know, with these with these 40-man roster, you know, September call-ups, you know, a lot of times you're facing teams, you're facing pitchers that aren't any good, you know, they, they, or that are, you know, inexperienced at the very least that other teams are trying to, you know, kind of take a look at. So, um you know, this idea that, oh, the, you know, he showed these signs and, and the Mets, you know, didn't see the signs that he was going to be, a, a, you know, this kind of a player. I mean, that's patently absurd. 
I mean, let's, let's, please. It's ridiculous. Justin Turner exhibited zero signs that he would turn into the player that he's turned into. Zero. And just to uh, buttress my point here, let's go uh, to his uh, career and his career numbers, and we'll take a look. Uh, Okay, so his first full year with the Mets was 2011. He played in 117 games. He had 435 at-bats, which is a fair amount of at-bats. Okay, he had 30 doubles. All right, not bad. Four home runs, 51 RBIs. He walked 39 times. He only struck out 59 times. Not terrible. Okay, he had 260. His OPS was 698, a negative 0.1 war if you're one of the warmongers and, and you pay attention to that statistic, wins above replacement and or war. Okay, so certainly nothing there that would make you think, and he's, he's not like he's a super athletic guy. He's not like he's got speed. Um, you know, he was a second baseman mostly for the Mets, kind of a utility guy, but mostly I believe played second base that year. So it didn't really show you much. Following year, he got far less at-bats, only 171, two home runs, 19 RBIs. Okay. Next year with the Mets, he got 200 at-bats, two home runs, 16 RBIs. Okay. His first year with the Dodgers in 14, he had 288 at-bats. He went 7-43, and 43, but he did hit 340. Oh, and that, sorry, his last year with the Mets in 2013, he hit 280, and that's when he had the great September just to get to 280, but he only had a 319 on base percentage. So there was absolutely no evidence at all. His first, you could you can't argue, his first, his best year with the Mets was his first year in 2011. Now, granted, he got a lot more playing time and a lot more at-bats than he did the following two seasons. Okay, I get that. But if anything, his, his, his statistics declined. So there's zero indication that he was going to turn into anything, let alone what he's turned into now. Which is, you know, last year he had a ridiculous year. He played 151 games, 27 home runs, 90 RBIs. And this year, you know, he's really and he he did strike out 107 times last year. You know, the on-base percentage 3.39. It's about league average. Okay, 2.75 batting average, 4.93 slugging, 8.32 OPS. I mean, he had a very good year last year. Undeniable. And this year, now, by the way, he barely is qualified for the batting title because he was hurt. So. You know, he's, he's got 298 at-bats, but he has, he has qualified, and he's hitting 349 with 13 home runs and 46 RBIs. And he's only struck out 36 times. He's walked more than he struck out, which had never been the case prior and anywhere in his career. So, listen, while there are myriad things wrong with the Mets and Sandy Alderson and their player evaluation and their talent evaluation – I mean, you know, listen, Gavin Cicchini, who they drafted over Jose Fernandez and Michael Waka, um, is still in AAA and is hitting 260 at Las Vegas, which is a hitter's paradise. Uh, terrible pick. Brendan Nimmo, not, you know, played in Wyoming, where they barely even have high school baseball. Okay, he was a first-round pick and a fairly high one in the top 20. Uh, he's shown flashes of being a decent player, but, of course, he's never healthy. But by most scouts assessments so far and you take that with a grain of salt too to be fair but by most scouts assessment he is not an impact player more of a fourth outfielder contributor type so listen the Mets have made a ton of mistakes okay and but this is not one of them all right there was zero reason to think that Justin Turner was going to be this and then 
The other thing is, you know, there were rumblings, whispers, whatever you want to say, that the Mets felt like he didn't hustle. And that was one of the reasons why they didn't bring him back. I will maintain, and I think I've said this before, I know the reason why they didn't bring him back. Because on that season and whatever year it was, the last year he was there, 2013, or throughout his whole time with the Mets, he was the first guy to be running out there with the pie and the shaving cream pie in the face to the guy who, you know, if the guy got a game-winning hit or something like that for the Mets, or was the guy getting interviewed in the post game. Okay, and none of those teams were any good. They were never in contention for a second. And he's, you know, he's Mr. Wacky personality, you know, with the long red hair and the red beard and whatever. And I'm quite sure Sandy Alderson, much like Frank Cash in a million years ago when he got all mad at Randy Neiman. Frank, the great Frank Cashman line, why is it the guys who do the least can celebrate the most? I'll bet you Sandy Alderson said, oh, I've had about enough of this clown. Okay. I, I don't need a 260 hitter with no power being Mr. Clubhouse Clown. I'll bet you that's what it was. I would not be surprised. I mean, I don't think it was the only factor, but I bet it contributed. So you can get away with that behavior when, A, if you're on a really good team, right? You could be the team mascot like Louis Soho was for those Yankees teams. Right, And if you're the 25th guy, nobody really cares. If you're a good clubhouse guy, every team needs that. That's fine. Or if you're a really good player, you know you can get away with that stuff too. But if you're a marginal player on a bad team and you're going to be Mr. Clubhouse Clown, adios. So no issues at all with the Mets not bringing back Justin Turner. In fact, it annoyed me to no end also, by the way, that he was that guy. So no issues. That's not the issue. The issue, however, is why is it that when he leaves the Mets and he goes to the Dodgers, now all of a sudden he's Manny Ramirez? Or why is it that when Daniel Murphy was played for the Mets, his average season was 280, you know, 12 and 60, and now all of a sudden, you know, he's Ted Williams? And apparently all the base running mishaps and all the fielding mishaps that plagued him while he was on the Mets have disappeared with the Nationals. Oh, I don't know, maybe because there's some accountability in that organization and there's none with the Mets. Maybe Dusty Baker actually pays attention to that stuff and Terry Collins doesn't. I mean, look at the Mets' track record for position players, young position players that have come through the system and or were traded for. So guys that were already here when Alderson got here or guys that Alderson has traded for and look at their development or lack thereof. Ike Davis. Okay, had one really good year, never to be heard from again. As a matter of fact, Ike Davis is now trying to make it as a pitcher in the Dodgers organization, of all places. Big lefty, apparently can reach 92 on the radar gun. That would be an interesting story, to say the least, if he actually makes it back to the major leagues as a pitcher. Sort of the reverse Rick Ankiel, who started his career as a pitcher, got Steve Blass as he couldn't find a strike zone, and turned himself into uh, you know a productive Major League outfielder. Ike Davis, washout. Juan Lagares has not improved a speck since he's been with the Mets. Not a speck. Again, he's always hurt. Another one is always hurt. I get it. But he's not improved at all. And in fact, the year after the Mets gave him a contract based on a pretty good and encouraging season a couple of years ago, he got fat and lazy and had a horrible year. Travis Darnell. The centerpiece of the R.A. Dickey trade. Yes, Syndergaard has been the better player. But Travis Darno was the guy. He was the centerpiece of that trade. Has not improved at all. 
If anything, he's regressed since two years ago. And Lucas Duda. And you can tell me all about Lucas Duda with his OPS and he walks and he hits home runs. I get that. You watch Lucas Duda and listen, maybe he is just a streaky hitter. By the way, he's doing very well for Tampa Bay since he he got traded them. I think he's got he's hit three home runs and has I don't know, twelve RBIs and sitting over three hundred since he went there. And maybe he's just in one of those hot streaks. But it'll be interesting to see if Lucas Duda now, whichever team he goes to next year, because he's gonna be he's going to be a free agent. If he's sort of all, all of a sudden the light clicks, because Lucas Duda has as much talent hitting as anybody. You see it in those spurts when he's red hot, when he uses the whole field, when he's hitting line drives in the left center field. And then he, it looks like he's never picked up a bat before. Because again, I do not think the Mets have hold their players accountable at all. They're happy saying, oh, go ahead, be a 245 hitter. That's fine. And don't hit lefties. They coddle their guys. Perfect example, Gary Sanchez, okay? While the, while the sheep media in New York are busy anointing every Yankee baby bomber, okay, including Gary Sanchez because he had a great end of the season last year and has hit pretty well for the Yankees this year. He's been a disaster behind home plate. 12 pass balls, by far leads the major leagues. Not good at getting down on balls, blocking balls. Basically, Travis Darnell, but at least he still hits. But did the Yankees sort of just uh, sweep it under the rug and say, okay, no, that's fine? No. They called him out publicly. Girardi called him out publicly. Now, obviously, not only Girardi is the manager, but Girardi also was a very good defensive catcher for many years in, the, in, the, in, the, in Major League Baseball. So, you know, she's got extra credibility there. But the whole organization did. They all held his feet to the fire. And by the way, it wasn't just lip service. Girardi sat him. And guess what? The Yankees uh, lineup exploded for seven runs and they had a nice win uh, on Sunday against a good Indians team, by the way. That would never happen with the Mets, ever. They are a bunch of ostriches. Ostrich, bleh, whatever. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> ostriches is. Oh, boy. Ostriches. With their heads in the sand, they, they you know, they, they they will refuse to ever admit that any of their players have issues. I'm not saying you got to go out and bash guys publicly. That's not smart either. That's not good for business. But when something is clear to the whole world, the whole viewing public, your fan base, the media, everybody else, and you pretend like it's not happening, it's ridiculous. And by the way, you're not doing the player any favors there either with that kind of an attitude and that sort and those sort of policies. So again, forget about all of the the, the, the questionable moves Sandy Alderson has made, because he's made some good ones. To be fair, not every movie made was terrible. The Cespedes trade was a good trade. Addison Reed trade was a good trade. By the way, right now, I have to say, the Jay Bruce trade looks like a good trade. I know he didn't bring the Mets what they hoped for last year, but they all so far all they gave up was Dilson Herrera, who couldn't even make the Reds. And is, is not, last I checked, which was about a month ago, wasn't even hitting well at AAA. Bruce had a great year. Now, he probably won't be here next year, but you can't say that was a bad trade. Now, and Jay Bruce is not the reason why the Mets stink this year. He's been their best player by a lot. Again, guy shows up, plays every day, doesn't complain, put him at first base, plays first base. Right field, doesn't matter. 
He's got 29 home runs, 70 RBIs. Had a great year. So, you know, listen, I think probably most GMs in baseball, baseball in particular, because the draft is such such a crapshoot there. First of all, it's 19,000 rounds, number one. And, you know, oftentimes you're drafting high school kids. Who the hell knows what a 17- or 18-year-old kid's going to turn out to be? And college baseball is not always a great indicator of future success in the major leagues, much less so than in football or basketball. So I get that. My big issue, again, with the Mets is the culture and the philosophy. There's a culture of acceptance of mediocre play. There's zero accountability or very little. And then the overall philosophy of Alderson's where, you know, defense – is eh, it's nice to have, but you know, it's not really our main focus. When supposedly you're building your team around pitching, it's completely counterintuitive and makes no sense. All right, enough about the Mets. Let's talk about some real teams here. By the way, a quick side note: a very uh, sad note. Major League Baseball, Don Baylor. Uh, excellent player for many, many years. Probably not quite Hall of Fame caliber, but close. Obviously played for the Yankees, played for the Red Sox, played for the Orioles, amongst others. Managed two teams, the Rockies and the Cubs. Was a Mets hitting coach. Passed away due to cancer at the not very old age of 68. I remember I saw Don Baylor once at the Baseball Sports Writers uh, Awards Dinner. This is a long, long time ago. It was probably 1984. I was a little kid. My parents owned a bar. And one of our regular customers, I think, knew one of the writers or whatever. So he got his tickets. It was at like the Hilton in Midtown. And it was, I mean, as a little kid, I was probably 15 at the time. Uh, So not a little kid, but, you know, a young teenager. It was such a thrill to see, you know, I remember seeing uh, Strawberry and Gooden, and Don Baylor, and Cal Ripken Jr., and two of the nicest guys there, both of whom I met, you know, for a second, but nevertheless, were Don Baylor and Cal Ripken Jr. And, and But you could just tell everybody liked Don Baylor, just a, a real gentleman. And, you know, all indications are everybody, you know, who's weighed in since his passing has said the same thing. And by the way, one of the toughest guys around, and I believe is the all-time leader and hit by pitch because he would never move out of the way. And then he'd get, you know, you could drill him in the elbow or the arm. Or and this, by the way, is before the body armor days, like Barry Bonds and Bagwell and all those clowns. He didn't wear any body armor. He didn't have any elbow guards or forearm guards or shin guards or any of that other stuff. He just, get you hit him and he, like a, like a, like a flea flew into him and bounced off him. <laughs> never... Never even, you would never even know he got hit. He just take his slow trot down to first base. Don't make him like that anymore. So speaking of which, the American League East, boy, that thing just keeps going back and forth. So Yankees got out like a house of fire. Red Sox sort of slogged their way through. Then the Red Sox got hot. The Yankees went cold. Then the Red Sox went cold. The Yankees kind of got hot again. And now... You've got the Red Sox have won six in a row, eight and two in their last ten. Yankees, after kind of slogging their way through, had two 
important wins back-to-back against the Indians in Cleveland on Saturday and Sunday. They were off yesterday. They played Toronto tonight. Um, but they're only three games back, two in the lost column. And I believe they've got a big series coming up later in the week, and then they play the Schmetz, the Yankees do. So uh, I'm sure they'll get fat and happy against the Mets later on. Um, but So that certainly bears watching. And listen, Tampa Bay at 58-55, and 55, still refusing to go away. I mean, six games, and again, Tampa Bay doesn't really look like a playoff team. You know, their their other numbers would probably indicate that they're not at, you know, plus four run differential. Um, but they're still alive for the wild card. Now, if I had to if I had to guess right now, or prognosticate rather, uh, I'd say the Red Sox are gonna win that division. Um, you know, Sale has been great all year. Pomerantz has actually been sneaky good and he's been hot lately. Uh Porcello has not been very good this year. Again, not as bad as his record. I think he's 5-15. and 15. Um, But, you know, he's got the ERA in the mid-fours, which in the American League sometimes you can have a winning record with an ERA in the mid-fours. He's got very little run support. Plus, he always seems to have, like, one terrible blow-up inning. You know, first, second inning, gives up four runs, and then he'll kind of settle in and give them six or seven decent innings. But, I mean, listen, a far cry from a Cy Young Award year last year, but... You know, anybody who's followed Rick Porcell's career knows that that last year was an anomaly. Um, and actually, Doug Fister, who they signed off the scrap heap after being really bad his first few starts, has been pretty good his last two for them. So that bears watching. That guy was a really good pitcher three years ago. So if they catch a little lightning in the bottle there with Fister, that could be a, a huge boost to them. And then they got Addison Reed at the trade deadline. Eduardo Nunez, who they picked up at the trade deadline, sort of jack-of-all-trades, former Yankee, former twin, former Giant, really good offensive player, has good speed. You know, the problem with him is he's, he's an iron glove. You've got to try to hide him. They're getting Pedroia back tonight off the DL, who was hurt. Um, Moreland, who was good for a while, then went into a massive slump, had a big walk-off home run for them the other night. They had that crazy game where... Uh, Austin Jackson for the Indians made that ridiculous uh, catch in center field where he, he caught the ball and went over and tumbled into the bullpen at Fenway to rob, I forget who it was, the home run. And then the Red Sox should have lost that game. Strike three to end the game, except the ball skips away, goes in the dirt. Guy gets the first base, next guy up, hits a walk-off three on homer in the 10th inning. It was nuts. One of the crazier games you'll ever see. And I understand, you know, the Yankees are the chic pick because of their trade deadline moves. And again, I've said it before, they were good moves. You know, I think Sonny Gray's a little overrated, but he's certainly an upgrade over some of the guys they have at the back end of that rotation. And if uh, I'm saying I'm going to say the wrong name now, if Tanaka, thank you, I was going to say Hideki Matsuyama, who's a golfer. Jeez, if Masahiro Tanaka uh, gets his act together, which he's he's looked better lately. Um, go pair him with Severino and Gray as the one-two-three punch. They'll be formidable. The Yankees bullpen, we know, is good, really good. Five, you know, Batances, Chapman, Robertson, Canlay, and then you know a couple other guys here and there. 
you know, those four, though, that's, that's pretty good. Um, and they got Aaron Hicks back now. So and the Yankees aren't going to go anywhere. I just think the Red Sox just have a little bit more. But Severino, by the way, has been phenomenal for the Yankees. He's been really, really good. Go over the AL Central. So the Indians, although despite losing two in a row to the Yankees recently, are still 59 and 50, nine over. They've gotten hot. Um, you know, the Twins have pretty much you know, regressed to the mean as we thought they would, and they're now a game, two games under 500. Uh, the Royals, though, are still hanging around at three games over. So, you know, the Indians only have four up in the loss column. I, again, I said this months ago. The Indians are going to win that division. Royals might make the wild card. The Indians are winning that division. And if you look at that division, by the way, and again, I don't. It's not the end all be all, but I find it to be somewhat interesting. Interesting statistic. Run differential. Indians are plus ninety six. No one else in that division is is plus. Everybody else is minus. Uh, and then out west, it's the Astros, and and that's that. I mean, the rest of that division stinks. Mariners are the next best team at one game over 500. I uh, just saw Felix Hernandez, though, is going to be out for a while now again with the, with an arm injury. And then I start to wonder if all those innings, you know, because he's, he's been around a long time. I think he came up when he was 19, starting to finally catch up to him. Um, but the Astros are 71 and 40. Uh, strange team. You know, the, the Dallas Keuchel, their, their ace, uh, who's been hurt a couple of times this year, uh, publicly cha- uh, sort of chastised uh, the, the front office for not doing more at the trade deadline to get them another starting pitcher because they need one because Lance McCullers Jr., their second best pitcher, has been hurt. And when he came back off the DL, he got rocked, and now he's back on the DL. And they knew he was going on the DL at the trade deadline. And, you know, the Astros have done a nice job, uh, you know, internally building their team with homegrown guys. But, you know, at some point you got to get – I mean, that's why they – listen, you give Cashman credit. He's kept most of the really good guys – some of these guys he's given up in these trades will probably turn out to be good players, but he's done a nice job over the last five or so years building enough depth that you could part with. I mean, listen, you know, everybody would love to do David Cohn for, uh, you know, Ed Hearn, right? But those, <laughs> most of those trades don't happen anymore. I mean, everybody would love to do Doyle Alexander for John Smoltz. Those trades rarely happen, you know, or Keith Hernandez for, uh, you know, Neil Allen and Rick Ownby. You know, those, those trades don't happen anymore. Guys are too smart now. There's too much information. People know what they're doing. You know, Billy Bean isn't such a genius anymore now, is he? So you got to give up something to get something. And, you know, I think the Astros really missed the boat there. You know, the Dodgers went out and got you Darvish. I mean, the Astros and the Dodgers, you could argue, don't even really need him. Now, that's clearly with an eye on the postseason because the Dodgers are making the postseason by, you know, they can just put it in cruise control from here on the rest of the year. They're going to make the postseason. They, they win 95 games right now practically in their sleep. They're going. They're trying to probably break the Mariners' record of 116. So the Astros bear some watching. And, again, I don't think their pitching is all that good, even with McCullers and Keuchel. I don't like the, the rest of that rotation. Uh, and their bullpen, I think, is very spotty. Uh, Brian Giles, I'm not a believer in Brian Giles is a big time closer. And Luke Gregerson is a big time setup guy. Just I just don't. And the National League East, 
Similar to the American League West, it's the Nationals and, and adios to everybody else. Same thing. Plus 113 run differential, everybody else under. Marlins, the next best team at six games under 500. I mean, that at least is just a dumpster fire. Stinks. By the way, the Mets now are 49-60. and 60. Lost four in a row. Two and eight in their last ten. Terry Collins can sit there all day long and tell me the team hasn't quit. Teams quit. I don't blame them. And again, part of that's on Alderson. You've got all these veterans now playing for nothing. None of these guys should be on the team anymore. I mean, unless you want to keep Jay Bruce, which, again, I'm on record as saying I would bring him back next year. But other than that, Curtis Granderson, I, uh, listen, we all know, great guy. Great guy. I'm not saying that sarcastically. He's a great guy. No reason for him to be on this Mets team. You're going to tell me you couldn't get him onto another team. And I don't care if you get a low single A guy, you know, who's got – I mean, there's no reason for Curtis Granderson to be here. Let him go help a, a team as a DH, part-time outfielder. Come off the bench. He's a great clubhouse guy. He's not going to complain. Put him on a contender. As Drupal Cabrera has no business on this team anymore. Nor does Neil Walker. And you could throw in Rene Rivera, the backup catcher, too, for that matter. No reason. And the fact that Curtis Granderson is taking at-bats away from Dom Smith, the Mets' second-best prospect behind Ahmed Rosario, is ridiculous. It's, it's, it's almost irresponsibly stupid. It makes no sense. I mean, the kid's down there hitting 340 with 16 home runs and 75 RBIs and 35 doubles. What He's proven he can handle AAA. What the hell is he doing down there? Makes no sense. So you could just look at the Mets. I mean, you could just see they're just a dead team walking. And, and frankly, I don't blame them. So get some young guys up here. Inject a little youth, some energy. And, you know, at least try to, to, to upset some other teams' playoff hopes down the stretch. Uh, <clears throat> the Yankees, number one. But, I mean, anyway. And then the Central, where the Cubs have finally turned into the Cubs and the Brewers have turned into the Brewers. So they've uh, Cubs have made up seven games in the standings on the Brewers since the All Star break. They're now fifty nine and fifty two, three games up in the loss column. Brewers are, I believe, nine and fourteen since the All Star break. The Cubs are sixteen and seven. Um, you know the Cubs bullpen in front of Wade Davis has been phenomenal this year. He's perfect in save opportunities. But the guys leading up to him, Rondon and Carl Edwards Jr. with his stupid single digit number. Um, and some some of those other guys, uh, Uja, uh, Koji Ujahara, whatever, they've not been great. They've been a little spotty, but they played much better. And the Brewers again have pretty much turned into the Brewers. And then you've got the Cardinals sitting there, kind of in it a little bit at five hundred, four games back in the loss column. So you, you certainly couldn't, I wouldn't count them out just because of their pedigree overall. What was that crazy statistic I saw on the Cardinals? Something like three losing seasons in like the last 50 or something like that. I mean, something insane. So I wouldn't count them out. They don't look like a great team. They're very uncardinals like this year. They, they play lousy defense. 
Um, you know, Cardinals are usually sort of the standard bearer when it comes to fundamentals and good base running and defense and doing things the right way. They have not looked like that at all this year. Mike Matheny makes some very head-scratching decisions as their manager. And then you go out to the West, and it's the Dodgers. The Rockies are firmly entrenched. So here's the Dodgers. We said we'd talk about it. They're, they're 79 and 32. It's 47 games over 500. Playing 712 baseball. Their run differential is plus 204. And they're 9 and 1 in their last 10. I mean, it's just, listen, they're so set up to have a crushing <laughs> postseason disappointment. Because everybody's crowning them and people are throwing around super team like they use in the NBA now, which is dumb. You know, the NBA is 12 guys basically on a roster. Baseball is 25. It's completely different. But, um, I mean, listen, they it's hard to argue, obviously, with what the Dodgers are doing. 47 games over 500. It's insane. I mean, look at the Rockies. They're 64 and 48. That's not terrible. But they're 15 and a half games out of first place. But they're firmly entrenched as the number one wild card. And the Diamondbacks are right behind them uh, at 63 and 48 for the number two wild card. So unless something, unless one of those two teams collapses, those are your wild card teams. The Dodgers are your NL West. The Nats are your NL East. And I think the Cubs will eventually be the Central Division champs. So really, not a lot of intrigue in uh, the National League, frankly. Much more so in the American League. And again, it's the American League East, a little bit in the Central, nothing going on in the West. So, you know, not the most exciting last six weeks or so of, of, of the season, frankly, except for the Red Sox and Yankees, which will be, and, and that's the way it should be, frankly. It's the way it should be. When the Red Sox and Yankees are both good, now it's funny, that rivalry is not nearly as heated as it, as it used to be, right? A lot of the, 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 the main combatants and main players from those, you know, going all the way back to, you know, Aaron freaking Boone and Pedro and Don Zimmer and later on with A-Rod and Bronson Arroyo and, you know, Pedroia and all the, I mean, you know, and Ortiz, these guys are all gone. I mean, Pedroia, I think, is the only holdover from those those rivalries. So it's much tamer. It's not as, nearly as much vitriol and rancor. But it still will be an interesting race down the stretch here to see who wins the division and then who maybe becomes a wild card team, which is also a possibility. All right, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be back with some NFL right after this. From Greece, she had a thirst for knowledge. She studied sculpture at St. Martin's College. That's where I caught her eye. She told me that her dad was loaded. I said, in that case, I'll have a rum and Coca-Cola. She said, fine. And in 30 seconds time, she said, I want to live like common people. I want to do whatever common people and we are back here on a Tuesday night, Amagansett edition of Jamal About Sports. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that was indeed the one, the only, Billy Schatz. 
William Shatner singing Common People with, by the way, uh, Joe Jackson shows up later on that song. Tremendous piece of work. Absolutely tremendous. I say that in all seriousness. I know there was obviously some of that wacky Shatner stuff when he does Rocket Man back in the day, you know, sort of the lounge lizard act. This is a tremendous piece of work. Excellent. Excellent song. Um... Also, there's a great song with a band called, called Fear of Pop called In Love, which is also tremendous. I'm sure you can download them both on iTunes. As a matter of fact, I know that you can. Uh, in any event, moving on, we'll get to the NFL. So last week we had the, uh, the, the, the Hall of Fame game, which, I mean, it's you got to – God bless the NFL. I mean, you got to love them. Bless their hearts. I mean, they just keep moving up the season further and further. There is no offseason anymore. Nobody's better at keeping themselves in the in the news and in the zeitgeist, if you will, than the NFL. I mean, I remember the old days when you had the Super Bowl and then there was basically nothing. Only real diehards like me uh, and AG, you know, and a couple others would, would pay attention to the combine, but it wasn't televised. There was no NFL network. But if you dug around, you could, you could see what certain guys ran their 40 times in and how much they bench and whatever. Remember the whole Mike Mamula thing where, you know, the kid out of BC who ended up vaulting himself in a top 10 pick because uh, he was a workout warrior at the Combine and, you know, had a miserable NFL career. Uh, the Eagles took him, I believe, number nine overall uh, based basically on his Combine workouts. But anyway, so, I mean, there was not a lot. And then you had the draft. And again, even the draft was a little bit of a, was, was a cottage industry. I mean, again, I would sit there like a dope on a, on a beautiful – by the way, in those days, though, it was like early April or mid-April um, and on a Saturday. You know, but it was a Saturday. It was Saturday and Sunday. That was it. Um, now it's Thursday night, Friday and Saturday. They make it into a whole thing. So anyway, the Hall of Fame game, which always used to be on Sunday, is now Thursday. So that was on Thursday night last week. Um, and it was on NBC, it used to be on basic cable. Now it's on network. Um, and so we get, uh, treated, if you will, to Collinsworth and Michaels. Um, I have to go back and look and see if any of the lines national TV games are going to be done by those guys. But if they are, uh, I'm really, I mean, I, I find Chris Collinsworth to be so irritating. It's beyond I mean, I, I, I can't. I just can't. But anyway, um, so uh, Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys, somehow got inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I'm just curious as to why. What is – I mean, why? Because the Cowboys, other than last year, for the most part, for the last 15 years, have been the epitome of a 500 team? Or because he somehow managed to bilk taxpayers into paying a ton of money – for that great sparkling new stadium that everybody loves to fawn over. Yeah, I know they won three Super Bowls and he was the owner. And yes, he hired uh, Jimmy Johnson. You know, that's 20 years ago, 25 years ago. What, what exactly has been his great, he's in as a contributor. What's his great contribution to NFL? Other than the fact that nobody knows how to keep himself in the media more than Jerry Jones. Nobody's a bigger self-promoter than Jerry Jones. Get more guys suspended on your team if you get a chance. The great Hall of Fame Jerry Jones. What a joke. 
And then, and then of course, as they as is their want, they interview. You know, Michelle Tafoya interviews some of you know, the players, the peons on the field, right? And Kenny Easley was recently inducted. Just a gentleman. Had a great interview with her. Morton Anderson, same thing. Jerry gets to go in the booth with Al and Chris. So they could kiss his ass some more. So Al Michaels had the audacity to say that Jerry Jones orchestrated the Herschel Walker trade. Al, are you kidding me? And listen, I generally kind of like Al Michaels, and the guy's had a hell of a career, and he's a pro's pro, no question, right? It's called some of the biggest moments in sports, most famously, obviously, the 1980 U.S. men's Olympic hockey team. I get it, but Al, come on. I mean, the whole trade chart thing is, is credited to J- to Jimmy Johnson for that Herschel Walker trade and, and, and the haul that they got back from the Vikings and how they basically fleeced the Vikings and set their team up for the next three Super Bowls. That was, that was Jimmy Johnson. That wasn't Jerry Jones. What are you, crazy? So that was number one that annoyed me. Number two was they asked him about, you know, they actually didn't try to sweep the Zeke Elliott stuff under the rug. They asked him about it, and of course Jerry Jones with just a, a cringeworthy response about how, well, you know, any young man with the popularity that Zeke has, you know, would 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 would, would have a tough time, you know, t- staying on the straight and narrow, whatever it was. He said, no, Jerry, no. And listen, I'm not saying Zeke Elliott's a terrible kid. I have no idea. He seems to have put himself in some pretty dumb situations so far. Okay. Most importantly, though, I believe the domestic violence case has been found to be untrue. That's the most important thing, right? These other things, he was in a car speeding and, you know, he, he got, maybe got into a fight or he, some people he was with got into a bar fight. That, that is true. You know, 22, 23-year-olds, that stuff happens. I've been in a bar fight when I was 19 at University of Maryland, okay? It happens. It's not the end of the world. Now, you got to be smarter. You'd hope guys be smarter, right? And they know their targets and they know they're in the public eye or maybe if they're not even a target, right? But, you know, you get a few drinks in you and obviously you don't make the best decisions. So I'm not saying Zeke Elliott is some menace to society. It's not proven to be the case. But Jerry Jones, stop with the excuses for the kid. I'm not saying you condemn him on national television. But to use that lame excuse that because he's famous – you know, any other kid, not any other kid. There's a million guys in the NFL that are famous and young that haven't had the issues as Zeke Elliott has had. Classic. Just classic Jerry Enabler. He's in the Hall of Fame somehow. What a disgrace. The other big news is uh, <laughs> Jay Cutler coming out of retirement to go play for the Dolphins because, unfortunately for them, Ryan Tannehill in the non-contact play, because there should never be contact with quarterbacks in training camp, um, hurt his knee again and looks like he's out for the year. And so because Adam Gase is their head coach, was Cutler's offense coordinator a couple of years ago with the Bears, and Cutler had a fairly decent year that year. Uh, you know, and Obviously, they have familiarity. Apparently, they're very close personally. Obviously, they had a good per- working relationship. I think the year Cutler played for 
Gase, as the OC, he had 23 touchdowns and only 11 interceptions, which for Jay Cutler is like, you know, probably the best year he's ever had, particularly, I would imagine, the least amount of interceptions he's ever had. Uh, But Jay Cutler played four games last year. Jay Cutler has been reviled pretty much by everybody. Now, I'm a bit of a Jay Cutler defender. Uh, This is going to go, I'm predicting right now here on August 8th, this is going to go horribly wrong. Horribly wrong. You don't get a guy, I mean, Jay Cutler, pretty much, and one of the reasons why people don't like Jay Cutler is because his body language is terrible, and he, he gives off an air of somebody who doesn't care. Now, I don't know if that's true. I don't think it's true. I don't think it's fair, but it certainly is the perception. But when you retire, I mean, listen, he could have gotten a job somewhere else. He went, He was going to go do TV, which, God bless him. And Jay Cutler's made plenty of dough in his career. Plenty. Now, he's getting $10 bucks from the Dolphins, so that's a, that's a big number. Fox wasn't paying him any $10 million, but he doesn't need the money. And it, it, this is classic Jay Cutler. Here, here was his line. So, yeah, well, the good thing, the good news is quarterbacks don't really have to be in good, good cardiovascular shape, so it shouldn't be a problem when they ask the fact that he, I mean, he hasn't been working out. He was getting ready to go do TV. The season is three weeks away. Or a month away. This is going to go horribly wrong. And I, I listen, I get it. They're going to try to, you know, run. They had a great running game last year with Jay Ajayi. And I guess they think Cutler, because of the relationship with Gase, is a better option than Matt Moore. Matt Moore is not terrible. I understand he didn't have a very good game against the Steelers in the playoffs last year after Tannehill got hurt. But he did go 2-1 and one down the stretch in the last three games for them. He's played enough football in this league where, you know, he's competent. And if you want to try to build your team around defense and running the ball, Matt Moore is more your guy than Jay Cutler. Because I don't care if Jay Cutler throws the ball only 20 times a game. He'll make five dumb throws out of those 20. So I think that's just a recipe for disaster. And then finally, uh, the most probably tired and, to me, lazy storylines is, you know, the preseason is meaningless. Um, You know, they need to cut the games. That I don't mind. If you want to cut the games from four to two, fine, or three, that's fine. I have a big issue with that. But this idea that it's meaningless is dumb. It's just flat out dumb. And it's, 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 it's just factually incorrect. I'm not saying you put a ton of stock in it, but if you are a diehard football fan, you want to see how your sixth-round pick looks in preseason. You want to see it. And Gary Myers, of course, so predictably, the wor- by the way, Gary Myers, easily the worst football writer in the country. It's not even close. He writes for the Daily News here in New York. He's an atrocity. He's got an agenda against the Giants. It's not even thinly veiled. It's so obvious. Takes shots at them all the time. He doesn't even deign to write about the Jets, really. But uh, takes shots at the Jets. Love to take shots at Col- uh, at, at Coughlin all the time. Um, for no reason, really. I, I I think because you know I don't think Coughlin was nice to him, probably. But so of course he wrote some tired, you know, retread article basically about how preseason is meaningless and you know it's it, this it's not meaningless. Guys make rosters based on preseason. At the, now, guess. Generally speaking, it's the back end of rosters. 
But, you know, guys like Arian Foster wouldn't exist if it wasn't for preseason. Cameron Wake wouldn't exist if it wasn't for preseason. Not everybody's a star, Gary, you dope. You should know that. You're supposedly a football writer. Not, a, not everybody's anointed when they come into the league. Not everybody's a top 10 draft pick. By the way, look no further than last year in Dak Prescott, who nobody was counting on to even play last year for the Cowboys. He was a fourth-round pick. He had a hell of a preseason, and he carried it all the way through the regular season and into the playoffs. So I don't subscribe to this tired theory that the preseason is meaningless. I like it. And by the way, the fact that all these games are televised now, either live or on tape or, or, or on tape on the NFL Network, I eat it up. I, I record them all and I watch them twice. Because again, maybe I'm a lunatic. I get that. Okay. But I want to see how Jeremiah Ledbetter, the line sixth round pick out of Arkansas, defensive tackle, looks this in, in, in the games. I want to see it because I think it was a good pick. I want to see how he looks in real action. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. We'll be back next week with another one. As always, thanks for listening. Check me out on Twitter, at JamalAboutSport. And, as of course, always on Facebook and iTunes. Peace out.